0: Reviewing phones is hard. Well, not really, actually. It's not that hard, but everybody goes about it in a different way. So today, we're going to talk to a phone reviewer and see how he does it. It's the first entry in my new series called The Reviewer's Notebook, and I've got David Amel here to outline his process for us. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, taking the time to point out that I'm working remotely. But that's really nothing new. I want to take some time here to talk about one of the side effects of this coronavirus pandemic. And that is in the millions and millions of people who are now laid off, underemployed, or unemployed, temporarily or not, because of this. Movie theaters, restaurants, pretty much any place that relies on having more than 10 people there at a time. Though, now that I think about it, I've been in some Starbucks in the morning with people sardined in waiting for mochas and frappas. Just kind of curious as to how those people fit under the social distancing model. Anyway, as stressful as being a freelancer can be, I'm incredibly grateful for the job, or jobs I guess, that I have today. So let's all hunker down in isolation and get right into the news of the week. The LG V60 ThinQ 5G pricing came out this week, and I have thoughts. First of all, LG wants everyone to call this by that long-ass name, but I'm going with V60, so there, LG. The V60 comes in at $799 or $899 with some variation from carrier to carrier the difference whether or not you get the dual screen case along with it and I'm actually quite disappointed in LG for doing this although to be fair I don't know if this is an LG decision or a carrier decision I'm not a fan of a decision either way because what that does is relegate the dual screen to an extra accessory you can't see and I'm using air quotes as opposed to actually like a part of the phone it's the same thing that happened with wireless charging you had to pay extra for the charging pad so no one did if LG wanted to make this a part of its brand and part of what makes LG LG, then this is a mistake. If LG just wants to pump out some extra screens, then I guess that's what this is. I like the dual screen, and I think it's a very handy accessory to have at times. Probably not all the time, though. I wrote an editorial on this on the Benefit of a Doubt website, so be sure to check out my full thoughts. And of course, you'll be getting a full review of the phone very soon. I've got a lot of Apple news this week, so instead of going chronologically like normal, I'm just going to blast through it all right here. Apple unveiled plans for an all-new format for the WWDC Online, as if this was just a brilliant idea that some presenter came up with and had nothing to do with the current health situation, as Phil Schiller put it. Frankly, I'm surprised Apple admitted the disease at all, but I guess it's not like they let a bad guy use an iPhone or anything. The new format will be unveiled in the coming weeks, but it will connect millions of developers with engineers who will all undoubtedly be working from home. Not because of the coronavirus, but because that's part of the all new updated work experience that Apple is testing out to boost work life balance. It goes along with Apple's whole let's just pretend that never happened narrative. And speaking of pretending things didn't happen, Apple will pretend you didn't miss your Apple Card payment in April if you wanted to skip it. This is actually a really nice move on Apple's part, allowing folks who may be financially strained in the new normal. Of course, next month, if you don't pay, they'll send over the guys with the bike chains and the baseball bats to bust your kneecaps. But this month, hey, just relax and take care of you. Next month, we'll take care of you. And speaking of which, here's a scary story of the week. One of the companies that has been hardest hit by the coronavirus is none other than Disney. Theme parks are shut down, movies in production have been halted, movies scheduled for release are stalled, Disney's stock slipped below $100 per share before recovering slightly. This led Rosenblatt securities analyst Bernie McTiernan to suggest that another mega corporation who is actually doing fairly well right now, Apple, might buy up Disney, and holy crap balls, could you imagine Apple owning all of Disney, which includes the theme parks, Marvel, Star Wars, Fox Media? That would be completely insane, and yet it actually makes a lot of sense. Coronavirus is not going to last forever, but it could last a long time. And during that time, basically everything Disney does to make money is on lockdown theme parks movies sports you name it if apple's gonna swoop in and buy up a controlling interest once this virus passes guess what's gonna happen all that other stuff is gonna open right back up and the stocks are gonna go through the roof now it's also possible that this virus will cause us all to adapt to a new normal and maybe we won't be so eager to rush out and spend a lot of time with strangers coughing all over you on a roller coaster Totally get that, but I for one can't wait to go back to a Cubs game and a Great America again, and I suspect a lot of others feel the same way. The only question is, who will own all of that when all is said and done? And continuing aboard the Apple train, some code in iOS 14 suggests that not only will Apple come out with a 4.7-inch iPhone 9 as a follow-up to the iPhone SE, but also Apple will have an iPhone 9 Plus, because of course it will. The larger screened phone will be a successor to... Well, nothing, except, what, the iPhone 6 Plus? I mean, honestly, if the cameras on this phone are anything like the iPhone 11 Pro, I might be interested in picking one up for the cameras alone. Of course, we'll also have to see how the price tag bears that out, but I'm watching for this phone's release very intently. And finally, rounding out the Apple news of the week, on Thursday, Apple unveiled a new MacBook Air and iPad Pro, complete with a redesigned smart keyboard priced at 349 Holy crap! The iPad Pro attaches to the keyboard magnetically, but the keyboard itself turns into something like a monitor stand, elevating the iPad off the typing surface. Also, as expected, the smart keyboard has a trackpad, and yes, iOS now supports mouse input, which is... Eh. Personally, I think Apple needs to go the other way and put touchscreens on their computers. I've never really clamored for a mouse on an iPad, but maybe that's just me. The MacBook Air in the meantime starts out at under $1,000 by a dollar at $999 with the redesigned keyboard and updated internals. Meanwhile, tech writers are already trumpeting that the new keyboard stand and trackpad support make the iPad Pro the go-to Apple computer you should get. And the thing hasn't even been given a proper review yet. Look, folks, I get it. The iPad Pro is now more like a computer than ever. But it's still not a computer. Does that mean it's a bad device? No. Heck, I'm writing this script on an iPad. It's a great little machine. But an iPad is still not a computer because I am not recording nor editing this podcast on one. Is it great for normals? Maybe. But that doesn't mean it's a computer. So let's just stop with the rhetoric. Even though that's kind of what Apple does. Okay, now we're moving away from Apple. Navigant Research released its annual study showing the progress of self-driving cars. Not surprisingly, Waymo is light years ahead of Tesla, but that's not surprising because pretty much everyone is ahead of Tesla, even though if you ask Elon, the cars already have everything they need for full self-driving capability, except, you know, they really don't. Waymo and, surprisingly, Ford are both leading the way in the space, along with Baidu and Cruise. Everyone else sits between them and Tesla. The report goes on to state that really the only reason Tesla is even on the report is because of the grand promises of Elon Musk, who tends to tweet and then think, rather than the other way around. But I guess if it's good enough for the president, it's good enough for everybody else, right? And sure, technically, Teslas can operate with no human interaction in a parking lot or, more terrifyingly, on a highway. But Tesla will go out of its way to tell you that you still need to pay attention. So pay attention! If you want to read a book, take a Waymo. Last week, President Trump announced that 1,700 Google engineers were stepping up to develop a website meant to help people who have coronavirus symptoms get connected with a clinic. The only problem is Google didn't know anything about it until the day before Trump's announcement. Since then, the site has gone up, but Input Mag reports that it's basically unusable. First of all, it doesn't work for anyone outside of two specific counties in California, which is not awesome. Second, if you do have symptoms, it says, oh, yeah, you should probably seek medical attention. Um... Yeah, that's what we came here for. Of course, is it right that we might mock this administration's inability to successfully launch a medical care-related website? I mean, it's really not fair. It's not like, I don't know, the Obama administration tried to launch a medical care-related website that was universally harangued by Republicans for the next six goddamn years. Oh, wait. Well, anyway, I guess I'm just going to go ahead and leave that right there and let y'all pick up that particular torch. Meanwhile, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, Reddit, Twitter, and YouTube have all stepped forward to help fight the spread of misinformation about COVID-19. And I'm going to put in my own two cents as well. 5G does not cause coronavirus, you morons. There, that's my contribution. So while tweeting out an image with the text on it that says that all these companies are working together to fight the spread of misinformation is inspiring, no, it's not. What would be nice would be... Additional information like, how are you going to fight the spread of misinformation? How will coming together help you fight the spread if your various platforms have nothing to do with each other? What the hell does Microsoft have to do with spreading misinformation? Oh wait, I forgot about Bing. Never mind. Although I guess Microsoft owns LinkedIn, but that leads to the question of... Why was LinkedIn listed in the first place? You see, there's a lot of unanswered questions here, and I guess we're all just gonna have to hope that whatever the answer is, it's not misinformation. Speaking of people who are out of work because of coronavirus, Universal Studios is trying to figure out a way to make a mountain out of a molehill by continuing to pay all employees that movie theaters furloughed. No, that's that's actually not true at all. Universal would never do that. No, what it is doing is releasing its current slate of movies, which includes The Invisible Man, Emma, and The Hunt, and probably a bunch of other movies I've never heard of, as digital rentals. For $19.99, you can rent any of Universal's movies at home for 48 hours, similar to how other digital rentals work, just you know, a lot more expensive. It's an interesting move, and another move that signals that Corona might be here for a long, long time. Otherwise, I doubt Universal would want to cannibalize its theater profits for a short-term gain. Welcome to the new normal, folks. OnePlus rolled out a new brand identity and logo this week. It uses a curvilinear numeral one and a new font for the name to make it more readable. What remains is the box around the number one, with the upper right-hand corner retaining the plus symbol. Overall... It's a fairly unimpressive logo redo, which honestly, if they hadn't told anybody, I'm not positive anybody would have noticed. But the big question remains, how on earth did they find the time to rebrand while they were building all those snowball robots? Impressive, OnePlus. Very impressive indeed. Facebook announced that it would give $1,000 bonuses to all its employees and make sure their biannual bonuses were given out as if every employee had earned an above-average rating, which is nice. But you know what the operative word in that statement was? Employees. Contractors are in a different boat. According to Facebook, contractors will be sent home and paid in full even if they're unable to work from home which seems nice. But what's confusing here is that The Intercept takes a decidedly shame on Facebook stance here. What the article says is that Facebook contractors are being sent home and still paid even if they can't work, while Facebook employees are also getting sent home, but with an extra $1,000 in their pocket. Well, let's remember that contractors generally don't get paid vacations which is basically what this quarantine amounts to for them. Just because they're not getting a $1,000 bonus, I personally think it's pretty cool that Facebook is continuing to pay them at all. I mean, maybe I'm being uncharacteristically generous to Facebook, who is a crappy company run by terrible people after all, but I personally don't see anything wrong here. And while those Facebook contractors are sitting at home, they can try out the Peloton app for free for 90 days. And I guess so can you, too. Peloton is offering a 90-day trial for their app to help keep folks up and moving during the coronavirus quarantine. And the best part is, in order to get it, you don't have to buy a $2,000 exercise bike or be ridiculed for starting in a commercial with your a-hole husband, who only got it for you so you can shave off a few pounds. And bad news, Samsung fans. The coronavirus has taken down all Samsung stores in the U.S. and Canada. There's like, I don't know what, like three of them or something. Well, whatever. Now you can't go to them, even though you probably don't go to them in the first place. Seriously, Samsung has stores? I mean, that's my takeaway from this article. Meanwhile, in Europe, both Netflix and YouTube have signed up to ease back on the internet infrastructure over there by setting streaming to a standard resolution by default. You can still stream high-quality content if you want, but if you randomly open up YouTube and start watching whatever, it'll be set to standard definition. This can help ease network congestion by as much as 25%, and since most of Europe is home right now, binge-watching The Bachelor, this is an important change. And some might describe Internet infrastructure as an essential business. AT&T sure does, which is why it sent a memo to employees advising them that some stores will remain open during shelter-in-place orders because AT&T thinks that they're an essential business. Well, sure, Internet and telecom is important, but phone stores? Phones can be ordered online, and customer service can be done over the phone. But then AT&T tells employees if any police officers show up, show them this letter. And by the way, I'll quote this next part directly. Quote, Please be advised that this is being provided as an AT&T best practice only. This is not intended to be, nor should you rely on it, as an explanation of the ordinance or your responsibilities with respect to the ordinance. Furthermore, this is not intended, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You should consult your attorney for legal advice regarding your obligation in connection with the ordinance. So, yeah, Mr. $13 an hour employee go ahead and put in a call to your personal attorney that you totally have on retainer to find out if what you're doing is legal. And the ironic part is, at and lawyers probably told them to include that part, you giant sex of crap. And P.S., GameStop is not an essential service either, so don't think you're getting off scot-free here, GameStop. But the good news for internet infrastructure is streaming music won't be bringing it down anytime soon. While streaming movie services have seen big jumps in usage over the past few weeks, music streaming is actually down by as much as 23%. Yikes, bro. It makes sense, though. I mean, I can't speak for others, but I listen to podcasts and music primarily in the car or when I'm commuting, and I haven't been doing that much recently, so my podcast listening is down as well. So you see, now you know what I've always suspected. I'm part of the problem. A recent post from a former lead designer at Essential shows off what would have been the Essential Phone 2 and 3 had Essential not been founded by a schmuck who couldn't keep it in his pants. The Essential PH2 was canceled very near to its launch date. Reportedly, Andy Rubin himself canceled the phone in favor of the line of home products that never saw the light of day. Good call there, Andy. The Essential PH3 never really entered production, but it looked a hell of a lot like the iPhone and the Google Pixel and the Galaxy S20, so, you know, that's not really surprising. Whatever the case, Essential was great with software updates, not so great with selling phones, so maybe it's for the best that these products never got released. And, of course, this week saw the release of the specifications for the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X, XX. X. X. And not surprisingly, they're fairly similar to each other. You've got 8x Zen 2 cores at 3.5 GHz in the PlayStation, and 8X cores at 3.8 GHz in the Xbox. You got your 10.28 teraflops in the PS5 GPU and 12 teraflops in the Xbox, 16 gigabytes of GDDR6 memory in both, and the list goes on, with one slightly edging out the other in several different categories, none of which are really going to make for a more flawless gaming experience. They're both fast, and they're both powerful, and they're both pretty, okay? Can we put the rulers away and button up our pants, please? I know you gaming folk take your hardware seriously, but there's a limit here and I've reached it. And finally, for all you fellow humans who are sheltering in place, Mashable, the ultimate humanitarians, put together a list of the best zoo animal live streams you can tune into so you can occasionally be reminded what the outside looks like. So check out that link and all the other links in the show notes for more information on all of these stories. But for now, let's wrap up the news, take a quick break, and head into our top story of the week. You might be asking yourself, how can I help out a show like this? Well, right off the bat, the best way you can help me out is by leaving a review for the podcast. I'll be honest, I'd prefer if you did it in an Apple podcast because that's where a lot of people are going to be coming from. But if you can't do that, you can leave reviews in Stitcher, Podbean, or Podchaser. Those will help too. They'll help other people discover this podcast, and since this is a brand new show, discovery is a wonderful thing. There are more great options for helping me out at Benefit of a benefitofadowd.com support that's benefitofadowd.com support you'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadowd.com support i hope you visit i hope you review and as always i thank you for listening David Amell is a former colleague of mine and the head reviewer over at Android Authority. Nary a flagship phone drops without David getting his hands on it. So if you want to be the best, you learn from the best. And I wanted to take a moment with David to talk about his process for reviewing a phone or any other hardware that crosses his desk. So without further ado, let's dive into David. That came out wrong. For this first edition of The Reviewer's Notebook, we want to take a look, not at the devices, but at the people who judge them. And I'm happy to say that David Amell is our first reviewer that we're putting under the microscope. He's a former colleague and longtime friend. He's the chief reviewer over at Android Authority, and he's the veteran of dozens of podcast reviews on that channel's podcast. David is a wizard at A-Roll and a recovering world traveler, now managing the Android Authority YouTube channel. David Amell, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello. I'm glad to be uh, back on a podcast with you. So thank you for inviting me.
0: I'm happy to have you back. So, David, I want to get started off by talking about your overall philosophy when you approach a review. Now, typically you review phones. Um, mm-hmm. However, you've done some other hardware in the past as well. But yeah. just in general, when you get a device, when you find out a device is going to be shipped to your desk, what's, how do you start? What, what's your, what's, how do you start your process?
1: Well, so a couple of years ago, I kind of had this, um, I don't know, I've been, I've been kind of obsessed with the idea of narrative storytelling. And so if you listen to podcasts like Radiolab or like 99% Invisible, uh, podcasts like that, they're all, or like, you know, even something like This American Life. Um, I am have always been intrigued by those things because they can take a concept that is so Basic and doesn't seem like you could pull a story out of it uh, mm-hmm. and they're able to make it like enthralling and interesting and serial and it's you know so the idea that you can kind of pull a narrative out of anything is kind of what I started to focus on uh in my reviews interesting so so now when I go into a review, I kind of think about okay like what is what is the company? say that this device is meant to be? What market is it meant to serve? Um, does it hold up to, you know, the, the hype? Does it hold up to like what the manufacturer says it's meant to be? I like the idea of trying to
0: pull the story out, and actually, you're in in a sense. It it sounds like you're kind of calling companies out, like uh, you're basically calling their bluffs. Like, I'm just I'm just curious, what happens if a company comes out with a product that is for a demographic that? you know isn't you do you try to adapt yourself to that demographic and see like how put yourself in their shoes like uh, for example um a smartwatch that is for runners like i don't i don't think you're a runner (laughs) you um yeah but but, you know would you try to put yourself into their shoes or would you try to say like i'm not a runner so here's how a non-runner would see this watch
1: i generally don't I, I tried, I'll I try to, like, do what the device is meant to do, right? Like, I did review a mm-hmm. couple, ru- like, smartwatches um, a few years ago. I don't do them much anymore, but, and I, again, like, I'm not a runner, right? So I did, I exercised with them, and I, you know, did all the features, but at the end of the day, I'm not someone who can really utilize this. Right. So generally, I go to people who I know can. Okay. And I try to get their opinion on it. Um, because that's kind of what matters, right? If you're a person that's looking into buying a product that is made for a demographic, you probably want to know how it performs for people that can actually take advantage of that thing. (laughs)
0: So on a method acting scale of one to Dustin Hoffman, you're kind of like a three. (laughs) Sure. Okay. All right. That works. So, all right. So now that we've, now that we've established the story that you're trying to tell with xyz device because the story has largely been told to you by the company Um yeah i mean
1: the biggest the biggest thing for me is is generally value but not value in the sense of like specs right because like no average consumer is going to know the difference between the power of a snapdragon 855 and a snapdragon 865 (laughs) so yeah it's it really comes down to like the, what are the things that you need and does this device satisfy that for your market and then compare it against other devices? Right. So,
0: um, all right. So then like, how do you, so you get a, you get a phone, What what's the first thing that you do with the phone once it's yeah. all set up and once it's all set up with, with all things, David.
1: So I try to, I try to take at least a week with a phone before I review it. Okay. Um, because I don't, I'll often like find things and this doesn't even, this isn't even just phones. Like I'll often find a lot of things with different devices that I only notice after like a while using them. Um, And also the biggest thing for me is like how well, like how much do I just like this phone in my daily life? Right. Okay. So a big thing is just like, do I like using this? And that, that is kind of a deeper thing that you can't necessarily quantify Sure. Um, it's something that, you know, I've used basically every Android phone that's come out. So because of that, I would like to think that I at least have some sort of, you know, metric as to if something's good or not.
0: Right. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. So so even, you know, with something like the Galaxy Z Flip, my whole narrative for that was like, love for the wrong reasons. Like I love this thing because it's fun and it feels like a gadget. Sure. It's not the same specs as the S 20 ultra and it costs about the same, but I like it way more because I just enjoy it. Hmm. And like at the end of the day, that's what matters, you know, like that's what matters with like everything. Like why would you buy something if you're not going to enjoy using it? Um, so what I usually do honestly is just like set up all my apps and try to use it just, you know, have it be my replacement phone for the next um, week. And I I use my own SIM. I have a Google Fi SIM and I've had Google Fi since like the beginning. So honestly, yeah, I just use it as my main device. Something that I'm a little uh, <clears throat> that I am a little uh, guilty of is that I hate taking photos on phones. <laughs> So yeah, it's kind of I'm, a problem. <laughs> I know. I know. It's because I always have a camera on me, so I like I hate taking photos on phones. So I'm always reminded to take sample photos and stuff uh, from my other friends who are also in the industry. Right. So whenever we're at dinner or something, they're they're all you know they're on taking taking sample pictures and stuff, and I'm like, oh, I should probably do that. Yeah. Um, probably. I end up taking sample photos on like the last couple days that I'm reviewing a phone and then evaluating them from there. Okay. Um obviously on something with like the S20 Ultra like when it's completely about the camera, um I definitely spend more time on it.
0: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh yeah.
1: yeah, I don't know. I I would just say like I just use it as my main phone and get a feel for how much I like it from a like deeper value. Okay. You know?
0: Let's talk about um let's talk about some of the photography and videography that goes into your that goes into your reviews because I mean you are a fantastic videographer your your videos are always beautiful. So like what's uh, what what are some of the things that you look for in like a scene when you're trying to set up like where to where to film a phone or where to you know do a photo shoot for the for the written review like what do you look for when it comes to like overall background and, and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. Um, well, something I've always kind of said is that when you're photographing products, uh, I'm a huge fan of like really long lenses and I know a lot of people really like wide angle stuff. Mm -hmm. I personally really dislike wide angle stuff because from my perspective, um, when you're photographing like a person and you're doing a portrait, uh, generally you use a longer lens for that because of the way that there's lens compression and it just makes someone look better and the background is more compressed okay uh, and from my perspective like if you're going to photograph a product you might as well take portraits of that product right sure so I use a lot of long lenses uh, I do a lot of macro stuff because like especially since in the last couple of years like so many phones have ended up looking so similar <laughs> I think it's important to like, Highlight the specific extras and the specific features that that phone is touting, right? Okay, yeah.
0: Um,
1: so, yeah, I use macro a lot. I, you know, I kind of learned to just look for light in random places okay. because I traveled, you know, full time for like two and a half years. Um, right. So, I would do reviews out of random coffee shops in random countries, and you just kind of have to find the right setting i don't i don't really believe that like you know background necessarily makes a great photo mm-hmm. um and i think that'll pe- a lot of people can will kind of lean on that but it's definitely like ambience is important right yeah. um more in the way that the light gets reflected and casted on on the subject and if and if the, you know, background uh, kind of works with the product you're photographing, sometimes I'll I'll change my wallpaper to kind of match the ambience of the room. Okay. Um, if you watch my or read my OnePlus 7T review, uh, I have a wallpaper that I, it was actually a photo I took in Iceland that it was like a blue and yellow photo that ended up pretty much exactly matching the... Ambience of the uh, cafe that I was shooting in. Oh, nice! So um, I'll go check that, yeah, that out.
0: Link in the show notes.
1: <laughs> yeah, that worked out pretty well. Uh, another thing I really like is, for photos and video is shooting at the right time of day. Um, I really, really, really hate harsh light, and so generally I'll either shoot like pretty early in the morning, like right before sunset, or right as sunset ha- or sunrise. Right. But generally, my favorite time to shoot is blue hour. Um, which is right after sunset, when like the sun's over the horizon but for about, you know, forty five minutes to an hour.
0: You still have it's a getting bit, darker, yeah. but
1: there's still like this even exposure in the sky and there's no one source of like harshness. Hmm. Um, so I'll often go out to like bodies of water or like, you know, rooftops or whatever, because just that kind of it's just a natural softbox. Sure. Um so you gotta take advantage of like <laughs> nature is doing for you i guess yeah um but i mean at the end of the day a lot of it comes down to just like doing it a lot so yeah you get an eye for what looks good over time and that's just a developed skill
0: gotcha gotcha and if you don't then the youtube commenters will certainly tell you
1: something i've been trying to do more recently is get strangers to like help model the phone for me um Cause personally, like you know, for years I just <laughs> Ex- did like.
0: Excuse me, random New Yorker. Would you mind holding this fourteen hundred dollar phone up for
1: me? Yeah, I mean, I wait,
0: where are you going?
1: <laughs> I did this in in Morocco. I've done this in like a lot of <laughs> random places. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you got to establish a level of trust, I guess. It, generally, I would do this for people that I met in the hostels, which were generally good people. Gotcha. And sure, I'm probably putting something at risk there, but um, I don't know. I just think that. The dynamics of being able to shoot someone using a phone is a lot better than just shooting a phone sitting on oh yeah a pedestal you oh, know oh for sure for sure um, and there's only so many angles you can get with that too and it's like sure I'll add those in but it's just hard when you're when you're a solo photographer it's really really hard to get those kind of shots, you know, mm-hmm. and it kind of sucks. Cause like, yeah, you just have to rely on your two assistants, tripod and sandbag. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I, I have, uh, you know, I still shoot a lot. Most of my videos are 1080p. And I know that some people can, would get annoyed at that. Um, personally, I really like the ability to shoot in 4k and then crop in crop in. Yeah. Yeah. And I mess with, I mess with like animations a lot um, to make you know I can crop in and then pan I can artificially pan but if you get the uh, if you get the animation keyframes correct then it looks really realistic okay <laughs> so, yeah also gotcha. when I'm editing um, I tend to like spend a couple hours finding the right track that kind of matches the vibe of what I want to give off and then I don't really plan shots I just shoot a crap load. Yeah, of okay. stuff I need and then edit to the music generally.
0: When do you typically shoot um, your your B-roll of the phone? Is it like fresh out of the box? Well, is
1: it- you know, something I've always kind of said is like, I, I usually shoot like near the end of the review. Okay. Um, and I usually don't use cases on phones that I'm reviewing uh, because from my perspective, like we want to serve the consumer And I don't personally think that phones should need to have cases on them. Um, You know, obviously, like everyone puts a case on their phone. So that's a thing. But like, it's kind of dumb and pointless if a manufacturer spends so much time making something beautiful and then they sell it and you have to cover it up. (laughs) I don't disagree. But at at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, well, this is the the thing, right? I'm going to make a video look as good as I can but if a phone got scratched up during a week that's how it looks after a week of use like that's just life and I don't know that doesn't bother me I think that people should know how a phone looks after a week without a case on it
0: okay okay well I mean how are you going to make an advertisement for a phone when it's all scratched up I don't get it I don't (laughs) understand
1: exactly yeah so no I mean
0: so out of curiosity during your review process do you carry around a notebook with you to take notes or do you just kind of remember all this stuff as you're as you're going along how does that work
1: I kind of just talk to other people in the space about it um you know like we have group chats and with like a bunch of different reporters that Mm. use these phones and we all kind of talk about them a lot um just to kind of get a sense of like are we crazy do we have a weird unit blah 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 Mm. okay uh and I'll, I'll note things. Sometimes I'll, like, write my review while I'm using it and then just kind of, like, dynamically change it based on if my impressions are changing at all. Okay. Um, and so I'll have notes there. The biggest, biggest, biggest help for me while reviewing phones, especially to find that narrative, um, is my best friend who lives in uh, Seattle. Um he's like the best listener ever. (laughs) And so I do with him what a term that it's called rubber ducking. Um, basically I just talk to him about the phone a lot. And I basically like talk to him about like, what is this? What does the company say? This is meant to be, how am I feeling about it? And over the course of like two hours, um, I come to these like realizations that are narratives basically. Hmm. Um, and the term rubber ducking comes from, it's a computer science term that comes from the 60s or not 60s, 80s. Sorry. Uh, when computer scientists, like sometimes it helps to talk out a problem uh, because a lot of people think with their, uh, think with their mouth. Like I think with my mouth yeah, when, I, okay. when I'm talking, that's when I kind of think the best. <laughs> so people used to um, put rubber ducks on their desk and talk to the rubber ducks about the bug <laughs> and talk through the program to the rubber ducks so that uh, they could figure out, you know, what was wrong. Especially because at the time, programs were so linear. Uh, it was a lot easier to just go step-by-step with the rubber duck and figure out, like, where the bug is. <laughs> this, um,
0: this conversation has yeah. taken a turn, I don't mind saying. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. But
1: anyway, like, talking to him is really the best way for me to figure out narratives. Um, so I do that on as many devices as I can. And he's generally willing to listen. So,
0: What a guy. There has been some talk recently especially uh, surrounding the Galaxy S20 Ultra in terms of the bugs that have been found in like the camera the autofocus mm. when it's dark stuff like that. And there seems to be two trains of thought when it comes to that. One is you know, judge the phone based on what Samsung will be able to fix with software, and two is judge the phone based on what you have in your hands right then. What is your philosophy when it comes to something like that?
1: Judge it based on what you have in your hands right then. <laughs> because okay. Because reviewing something and, like, based on the promise of future improvements, no. Right. Like, the amount of manufacturers that... Give me a phone to review and say, oh, um, it'll get better later. Like, what is that? Like what you want me to wait (laughs) a year? Like that's not, (laughs) I'm still waiting for flash player on my pre. I'm just saying, (laughs) well, this is the thing is like, when is Samsung going to drop this update that apparently is supposed to fix the autofocus? Cause every single manufacturer that I've ever worked with has told me, oh, this isn't final software. It's like, well, when is the final software then? You never even tell me what is final software. Right. You know, I get devices from manufacturers that are just like, Yeah, we'll we'll let you know when it's, you know, final. So just say that if there's if there's any like, you know, bugs or issues, like just say that it's not ready yet. And it's like No what? So everything it's... is in beta forever? Right. Like, it's if the that's Google the case, philosophy. Well, especially if something is available for sale. Like, in yeah. that's the experience consumers are going to get. I don't care about how long they're going to have that experience for. They need to know what the issues are. And I'm not going to, I'm yeah. not going to like tell people to buy something because I'm, because a giant corporation promised me that it would get be- better in the future. But did they <laughs> like, cross no. their heart and hope to die? Yeah, exactly. That's... I mean, that's, that's the de facto PR reply of like, please don't hate on our product. You know, it's, it's dumb.
0: Oh, you're going to be hated. Anyway, so, Mr. <laughs> David, I would like to thank you very much for taking the time to appear on our little show here and sharing your insights into the world of the reviewer. So I, I I can't thank you enough for uh, for coming on, and I
1: hope to have you on again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'd love to come back.
0: Thank you very much to David Amell for joining us this week. Plus, a huge thank you to co-producer Clifton M. Thomas for all of his hard work. Thanks for checking out these five episodes that all dropped on our launch date, March 27th. I hope you like what you heard. But if you have any feedback, please feel free to drop me a line at host at benefit dot com. Once again, I thank you for listening and I thank you for giving me the benefit of the
1: doubt.